Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Sea Report, brought to you by QAndAholesPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mr. C, and this is the report for Tuesday, February 9th, 2021. Good evening, good evening, good evening. This is Mr. C, and thank you for joining us on the C Report this evening on Tuesday, February the 2nd. Let's get straight into the news. Uh, Trump leads here on the C Report, and this is breaking news on the Trump hearing. Senate votes 56 to 44 to proceed with impeachment trial of private citizen Donald J. Trump. Six Republicans join all Democrats in vote. And this is from Jim Hoft over at the Gateway Pundit. After initial arguments from the House prosecution team and from President Donald Trump's attorneys, the U.S. Senate voted 56 to 44 to proceed with the impeachment trial of private citizen Donald J. Trump. Senate Democrats and six Republicans voted on Tuesday to move forward with the impeachment trial, Republicans voting to join Democrats in this unprecedented assault on our Constitution include Ben Sass. Pat Toomey, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Mittens Romney, and Bill Cassidy. All right, so we see the uh, Senate is going to move forward with this impeachment regardless of what anyone says or how partisan it might happen to look. Um... We have quite a few, it looks like just about everybody, all Democrats, of course, are going to have voted for this. But those six Republicans, uh, yes, they uh, definitely, uh, definitely are uh, in line with these individuals. And uh, I'm surprised, honestly, that there are not more Republicans that are giving away their position when it comes to whom it is that Donald Trump will be convicted and whom it is that um, wants that to happen. Anyway, so, yep, that's some breaking news coming from Washington, D.C. Of course, they're going to move forward with it, and um, we'll see how that turns out. Facebook oversight board member joins Biden administration's DOJ release says this comes from Peter Svab and uh, the article says a law professor who's been sitting on Facebook's oversight board stepped down to accept a position in President Joe Biden's Department of Justice. Stanford's Pamela Carlin will serve as Principal Deputy Assistant Attorney General in the DOJ's Civil Division after spending less than a year on the Facebook board set up in 2019 to review the social media behemoth's content uh, policing decisions. Working with my colleagues on the Oversight Board to build a a fairer and more effective approach to content moderation has been an honor. The board has a critical role to play in holding Facebook to account, and I will continue to watch their work with great admiration, she said in the board's release. The White House didn't respond to a request to confirm 
Carlin's appointment. The board funded by Facebook, but technically a separate entity, started accepting cases for consideration in October and has received over 180,000 appeals, adjudicating a less than a dozen. It's currently reviewing Facebook's ban of former President Donald Trump's account. Pam Carlin's legal and civil rights expertise played an important part in shaping the board, and we're grateful for her contributions. The trustees and board members congratulate Pam on her new role and wish her the very best, said board spokesperson John Taylor in a statement emailed to the Epic Times. She took leave from the team in fall to aid Biden's transition and wasn't involved in any of the adjudications the Facebook board conducted, Taylor told Politico. Carlin was listed as a volunteer on Biden's DOJ agency review team. In 2019, she testified at Trump's first impeachment trial, making a quip at the expense of his son, for which she later apologized. During one public appearance, she joked that she had to cross the street to avoid sharing the street side with Trump's Washington Hotel. In 2013 to 2014, she served as Deputy Assistant Attorney General for Voting Rights in the Civil Rights Division. And also, in 2009, the New York Times presented her as the favorite potential Supreme Court pick of the left. Carlin's journey fits a pattern of revolving doors between Facebook and Democrat administrations. Last month, Facebook hired Roy Austin, an Obama administration veteran and member of Biden's transition team, as the company's vice president of civil rights and deputy general counsel. Former Facebook associate general counsel Jessica Hertz was the Biden transition's general counsel and is now the president's white White House Staff Secretary. Jeffrey Zients, Biden's coronavirus czar, served on Facebook's board of directors from 2018 to 2020. Austin Lynn, a former program manager at Facebook, was reportedly tapped for a deputy role at White House's Office of Management and Administration. Erskine Bowles, a former Facebook board member, reportedly advised the transition team. Hertz, Zients, and Lynn held roles in the Obama administration. Bowles served as President Bill Clinton's chief of staff. Facebook chief executive Mark Zuckerberg gave $500 million to election officials ahead of the 2020 election for measures such as ballot drop boxes and mail-in voting, describing them as tools to make voting safer amid the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party virus pandemic. The grants violated election laws and were distributed, distributed unevenly, favoring Democrat-heavy areas according to the Amistad Project of the Thomas More Society, a constitutional litigation organization. Could not have said it better myself. Thank you, Peter Schwab. 
that was a great example of the revolving door that we see. And we've talked about that on the C report before, where you have law firm to administration. You have um, law firm to administration to, um, you know, some other federal outpost. You have social media giants to administration to work in other government offices. Uh, it's quite ridiculous. And this uh, this woman who's joining uh, the DOJ off of um, off of Facebook, uh, Pamela Carlin, she's the one who said uh, that vile thing about um, uh, Baron Trump. So uh, it tells you a lot about her character. It tells you a lot about how she's going to be ruling in the DOJ, especially as far as 230 goes, if that ever crosses her desk, especially considering that she uh, has a parent history of uh, Trump hatred syndrome. We'll call it Trump hatred syndrome. All right, next article. Pete, uh, Democrats' pandemic relief bill includes temporary Obamacare expansions. Another one from the Epic Times. The $1.9 trillion pandemic relief measure being drafted by White House Democrats features the first expansion of Obamacare in more than a decade. According to a set of legislative proposals unveiled by White House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Richard Neal, Democrat of Massachusetts, on February 8th. One of the proposals would fully subsidize Affordable Care Act, ACA, or Obamacare coverage for people earning up to 150% of the federal poverty level. The new eligibility table now includes people making more than 400% of the federal poverty level, affording them subsidies for the first time and capping their total premium costs at 8.5% of income. A summary of the proposals released by Neil makes no mention of the ACA expansion, a key step toward President Joe Biden's vision of building and expanding Obamacare. But the provision is nonetheless tucked away toward the end of a 90-page legislative proposal, which also includes a series of tax credits. Our nation is struggling, the virus is still not contained, and the American people are counting on Congress to meet this moment with bold, immediate action, Neil said in a statement. From increasing direct assistance to those who need it most to expanding tax credits for low- and middle-income workers, we deliver substantial solutions in this package. The expansion, if enacted, would last through 2022 and could be extended before it expires. Neil's proposals are written as budget reconciliation measures, which means the Democrats can pass the measures with a simple majority and no support from Republicans. While it is still our hope that Republicans will join us in doing right by the American people, the urgency of the moment demands that we act without further delay, Neil said. The nine proposals make up roughly half of the $1.9 trillion package proposed by the Democrats and include the $1,400 direct payments to Americans. Another proposal, if enacted, would cover 85% of the health insurance premiums for people laid off during the pandemic and continuing to use their employer-based health insurance, also known as COBRA. 
Biden signed an executive order last month reopening online health insurance marketplaces, allowing people to sign up in several weeks. Healthcare.gov will open for a special enrollment period from February 15th through May 15th, giving Americans who don't have insurance a chance to obtain some. People in states with marketplaces served by the healthcare.gov platform will be able to enroll in health coverage, the Department of Health and Human Services clarified in a statement. Enrollment can be done through the website, the Marketplace Call Center, or through direct enrollment channels. The administration will spend $50 million on an outreach and education about enrolling. How interesting. Well, I mean, that just goes to show they're going to keep pushing things with this uh, pandemic uh, bill as long as they can. And they're going to spend and spend as much money as they can. But there's no telling where that's going to end up. Because we don't know since uh, Janet Yellen, former uh, uh, former Fed, um, Fed chair woman over here for the Federal Reserve is now... Uh, the Secretary of Treasury, um, and she's working in the Treasury as a Treasurer, and um, yeah, she's going to redirect the Fed since the Fed is now inside of the Treasury Department. But uh, that's a little bit of fat that we'll chew at another date. Keeping the illegitimate president of the United States, Joe Biden, in the focus, James Anthony uh, writes, Biden press secretary says illegal immigrants convicted of crimes will not be prioritized for deportation. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki commented briefly at a press conference on Monday on the new ICE guidelines that are supposed to go into effect under the Biden administration's new immigration policies. On immigration, Fox's Pete Ducey asked Psaki, there's new reporting that ICE is going to get some some new guidance to no longer focus on deporting illegal immigrants who have been convicted of DUIs, simple assaults, solicitation, drug-based crimes, among other things. And I'm curious how that is in the interest of public safety. Well, uh, Saki responded, first, uh, we'll circle back to it, but it's guidelines that would put, that would be put out by the Department of Homeland Security. And I've certainly sent you them. They have a confirmed secretary now. But, uh, the priority for the enforcement of immigration laws will be on those who are posing a national security threat, of course, a public safety threat. And on recent arrivals, nobody is saying that DUIs or assault are acceptable behavior and those arrested for such activities should be tried and sentenced as appropriate by local uh, law enforcement. But we're talking about the prioritization of who is going to be uh, deported from the country, she said. Is this the kind of change that he was talking about, asked Ducey in reference to Biden. 
Well, uh, I think the kind of change he was talking about was putting forward an immigration bill at a time when modernization of immigration is long overdue. Let's repeat that. Well, I think the kind of change he was talking about was putting forward an immigration bill at a time when modernization of immigration is long overdue. Uh, that addresses not only a path to citizenship, but puts in place smart security measures and addresses the root causes of these issues in the countries of Central America, Saki said. So I think that's primarily what he was referring to, but also prioritization, which again would be up to the Department of Homeland Security, which is on the individuals who pose the greatest national security threat, is also something he's long supported. So uh, that's pretty interesting, you know, um, that's what uh, that's what she says. You know, this Miss Jen, uh, Saki. That's what she says. And, you know, I just love how we Americans have it in our hearts and in our minds, apparently, that, you know, the nations of Central America are helpless because apparently we have to go in there and keep messing around with them. Um, but, you know, if they were able to get their governments under control and, you know, quite possibly have a true um, nationalist or sovereign leadership and people to back them up. And it were done right and fair and without, you know, fiat currencies and, and such things that eat away, you know, the sustenance of the people. Central America could, could, could probably turn itself around and become one of the major hubs of growth and innovation, as all of us could if we were allowed to go to the stars. But uh, that's what she says. Um, apparently, you know, I have no problem with immigration personally. I don't think anyone does. I think that's a total straw man to say that people are, you know, racist against illegal immigrants or people refer to immigration or illegals as people of, I don't know, like they don't belong on earth or something like that. That's a total, you know, absolutist argument. That's ridiculous. Also, I mean, who is really against that? I mean, we all want that one world open borders. It just so happens that these people hijack the whole idea. I mean, I do kind of like the idea of nations only because it kind of preserves the culture and the heritage of a certain type of people. And I enjoy that. And that's why I like having nations. But anyways, it's, 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 it shows the diversity of the kind on this earth. You know what I mean? Um, but here, this next article from Christina Alela is entitled, In a Striking Turn of Events, Trump-appointed judge extends suspension of Joe Biden's illegal 100-day deportation freeze. A federal judge in Texas on Tuesday extended the suspension of Joe Biden's illegal 100-day de deportation freeze. Biden signed an executive order a couple weeks ago putting a temporary 100-day freeze on deportations of illegal aliens. 
Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton immediately filed a lawsuit against the Biden administration for its illegal deportation freeze. Two weeks ago, U.S. District Court Judge Drew Tipton in the Southern District of Texas, a Trump appointee, temporarily halted Biden's deportation moratorium, and today he extended his suspension. Judge Tipton extended his suspension through February 23rd and said it will give the parties more time to provide for a more full some record to assist the court in adjudicating Texas motion for a preliminary injunction. The judge also cited the irreparable harm that would go that would accrue to Texas if an extension was not granted. Border states like Texas pay a particularly high price when the federal government fails to faithfully execute our country's immigration laws, Paxton wrote last month in his lawsuit. Texas was the first state to sue Biden the Biden admin and A.G. Paxton won in under a week. Very good Attorney General Paxton. Very good. He's the man that stood up for the United States of America, the state of Texas, when we had all of this nefarious fraud going down, which optically, optically speaking, President select the illegitimate president, Joe Biden. I'm calling him illegitimate Joe. Hashtag illegitimate Joe. Illegitimate Joe and his administration, the illegitimates. Bravo, Ken Paxton. Keep fighting well for us Texans. We appreciate it more than you know. And keeping a pulse on the throats of pederasts and perverts everywhere. A story from Cassandra Fairbanks. Three cast members of Netflix cheerleading series arrested for sexual misconduct with minors. Three cast members of the Netflix cheerleading series Cheer have been arrested for alleged sexual misconduct with minors. Last year, another star of the Emmy-winning series, Jeremiah Jerry Harris, was sued for child exploitation and abuse of twin brothers who were only 13 years old at the time, then arrested a week later for enticing an underage boy to produce sexually explicit videos and photos of himself. Harris was charged with one count of producing child pornography and later seven more counts related to allegations that he solicited sex for minors while at cheerleading competitions. On Wednesday, another star of the show, Mitchell Ryan, 23, was arrested in Texas for felony aggravated sexual assault of a child. Law Enforcement Today reports that the assault allegedly occurred on June 24, 2020. Robert Joseph Siana Jr., a 25-year-old professional cheerleader who is also featured on the show, was arrested on February 3rd and charged with taking indecent liberties with a child and use of an electronic communication device to solicit sex. He had messaged someone that he believed to be a 14-year-old boy and attempted to arrange a meeting in person.
Hopefully, if there are any more victims out there that, for whatever reason, maybe because of his stature, didn't want to come forward, that they reach out to the police department so we can investigate further. Sergeant Winifred Lewis of the Chesterfield County Police Department in Virginia told law enforcement today. So that is pretty interesting there too as well. How interesting to note, you have these guys, they're what, 23, 25, they're in the prime of their life and yet they are sickos going after children. Like, and you know, that's, um, I'm not going to get too heavy into it today because we are on the C-Report, we're not talking about, you know, the LGBT community at all today, but, um, you know... You have these uh, you have these guys who are like in their early 20s and they're in charge of cheerleader camp. And um, what are what are male cheerleaders called? Tumblers. They're in charge of Tumblr camp. And uh, it is unfortunate that they use their stature and they use their, you know, their um, they use their they use their command of respect, I guess. How, how would you say that? They use their they use their office to take advantage of these children, their position, you know. And uh, it's, it's unfortunate to say I've seen that even in LGBT community centers for minors and uh, troubled teens, that kind of activity. So, next story. Judge stops some of Soros-funded LA District Attorney George Gascon's radical policies. Judge stops some of Soros-funded Los Angeles District Attorney George Giscon's radical policies. This comes from Breitbart. Los Angeles District Attorney George Gascon will not be able to implement some of his radical criminal justice reform policies after a judge issued a preliminary injunction Monday barring him from doing so. As Fox 11 KTTV reported, Judge James Chalfant's injunction will restrict Gascon from refusing to prosecute California's three strikes law and will restrict him from dismissing special circumstance allegations without legal grounds. As Breitbart News noted last month, Gascon took office after defeating incumbent Jackie Lacey, the first black woman to hold the job. The Black Lives Matter movement portrayal portrayed her as insufficiently sensitive to its concerns about police and prosecution. Gascon was heavily funded by left-wing billionaire mega-donor George Soros, one of several progressive prosecutors he backed. Gascon immediately promised sweeping reforms, including an end to cash bail, a prohibition against prosecutors seeking the death penalty, an end to sentence enhancements for most aggravating circumstances, and a refusal to prosecute the state's three strikes law. He sought a reduced punishment for a man accused of two murders, including that of Los Angeles Sheriff, De- Sheriff's Department Deputy Joseph Solano. He also refused to seek parole for Manson family murderer Bruce Davis. Other prosecutors in the state refused to work with him in cases involving multiple jurisdictions and the Associate Association of Deputy, Atter- Deputy District Attorneys of Los Angeles County sued him. Well, 
that's quite an interesting thing that we have going on here. So apparently uh, it says Judge James Chalfant's injunction will restrict Gascon from refusing to prosecute California's three strikes law and will restrict him from dismissing special circumstance allegations without legal grounds. So I guess uh, you have this guy here. He's a progressive lawyer over in uh, Los Angeles and he's funded heavily by George Soros and he uh, he's just failing to prosecute I guess because you know he wants to go ahead and uh, you know have it his way as far as lore goes but uh, yeah I mean there you have it there you have it all right, we'll be uh, wrapping up the C report for the evening session, the B session tonight. Uh, two more, two more stories here. This one is actually a reflection on one of the stories that we had talked about earlier in the week. It has to do with the Time magazine. In fact, <clears throat> it seems that everybody was abuzz with this uh, with this article that the Time magazine had published earlier in the week. Um, in which they admit to a, basically they admit to a whole uh, slum of things, um, uh, conspiring and you know, um, let's see, uh, mobilizing and 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 interfering in election proceedings because they were going to fortify the elections. Well, um, the Federalist had actually put out a piece about it. I'll read a little bit of it and uh, then we'll reflect. It says what Time Magazine's Bizarre New Election Report tells us about corporate media. On this episode of the Federalist Radio Hour, Real Clear Investigations and Real Clear Politics writer Mark Hemingway joins culture editor Emily Jashinsky to discuss Time Magazine's article, The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign that Saved the 2020 Election, and how it demonstrates the corporate media's bias in approaching the 2020 presidential election. These people have to understand why ordinary people are completely gaslit by this stuff. Hemingway said, They cannot do this. They cannot, through their own warped, politicized worldview, come out and say these things and, you know, at the same time, shout down that everyone that questions the way that corporate America is putting their thumb on the scale in our culture and in our politics as a crazy, deranged conspiracy theorist. They can't do this. It's going to lead to much more political unrest. This article by Molly Ball, Hemingway argues, demonstrates why people are frustrated with legacy Democrat media outlets. Part of the problem here is, again, it goes back to the media itself and their general obliviousness and tone deafness, you know, as exhibited by the Molly Ball article, Hemingway said. The information system in this country is so overwhelmingly asymmetric that people who are in these positions of power that read the New York Times and the Atlantic and all these other things and come away thinking they're enlightened have no clue. And the reason why that caught my attention is because here you have these reporters telling this deftifying story. They're pulling a John Sullivan, right? They're pulling a, oh my God, we got to record this moment in time. We have to let people know that this was me who did it, you know, whereas, you know, people who are traditional assassins, they'll take, uh, you know, they'll take to their grave killing 
President John F. Kennedy. But you have these, you have these, uh, you have these green people who have to boast about it and tell everyone everything that they did. I mean, we know now all of the levels of collusion that went on to stop President Trump from being able to optically win as the president of this election. All they had to do was give the optical illusion that he lost on television to the United States and to the world. And they could do all of the back magic behind that production of an election and also the production of government they're currently putting on and the production of the inauguration that they put on. This is all Hollywood. This is all production. This is all film and lights and magic. None of it is real, but because they can project it to the American people and to the world. They can pull as many strings in the background as they need to from all of the masters who are circling the stage right now with their marionettes because they are in panic mode. And that's just my opinion. But the Federalist staff kind of painted it a different way. They, they kind of go into that, play into that whole idea that to believe the Q and to believe the Q phenomenon and to be a Q anon uh, is simply crazy. Um, and uh, that they can't do that to the American people uh, because, um, you know, well, there's at least one third of us who believed this stuff you know and and still do some extent i would say there's probably one third of that one third that still believe that q is a real thing and haven't given up on what that is but the decoders it seems have kind of fallen into the shadows and everyone else that was going to give up on q or was just there as a fair weather anon because, like, personally speaking, Mr. C on the C Report, I don't consider myself a Q anon per se, but I definitely do follow the Q current. As we want you to raise questions whenever you hear some of the news that you hear on the C Report. Watch that graphic art, the C Report. We will queue up the questions of all of the people that were involved in the shenanigans during the Trump administration. All right, the final report for this evening takes us to science. Let's do a science uh, science report for the uh, to close the C um, report this evening on this uh, Tuesday evening. Supernova remains discovered in Milky Way Center. This is from NASA and the Marshall Space Flight Center. Astronomers may have found our galaxy's first example of an unusual kind of stellar explosion. This discovery, made with NASA's Chandra X-ray Observatory, adds to the understanding of how some stars shatter and seed the universe with elements critical for life on Earth. This intriguing object, located near the center of the Milky Way, is a supernova remnant called Sagittarius A East, or SGR A East for short. Based on Chandra data, astronomers previously classified the object as the remains of a massive star that exploded as a supernova, one of many kinds of exploded stars that scientists have catalogued. 
Using longer Chandra observations, a team of astronomers has now instead concluded that the object is left over from a different type of supernova. It is the explosion of a white dwarf, a shrunken stellar ember from a fuel-depleted star, like our sun. When a white dwarf pulls too much material from a companion star or merges with another white dwarf, the white dwarf is destroyed, accompanied by a stunning flash of light. Astronomers use these type la supernovae because most of them meet out almost the same amount of light every time, no matter where they are located. This allows scientists to use them to accurately measure distances across space and study the expansion of the universe. Data from Chandra have revealed that Sagittarius A East, however, did not come from an ordinary type La. Instead, it appears that it belongs to a special group of supernovae that produce different relative amounts of elements than traditional type IAs do, and less powerful explosions. This subset is referred to as a type AX, a potentially important member of the supernova family. While we found type IAX supernovae in uh, other galaxies, we haven't identified evidence for one in the Milky Way until now, said Ping Sao of Nanjing University in China, who led the new study while at the University of Amsterdam. This discovery is important for getting a handle of the myriad ways white dwarfs explode. The explosion of white dwarfs is one of the most important sources in the universe of elements like iron, nickel, and chromium. The only place that scientists know these elements can be created is inside the nuclear furnace of stars, or when they explode. This result shows us the diversity of types and causes of white dwarf explosions and the different ways that they make these essential elements, said co-author Xing Jing Luang of Caltech in Pasadena, California. If we're right about the identity of this supernova's remains, it would be the nearest known example to Earth. Astronomers are still debating the cause of type IAX supernova explosions, but the leading theory is that they involve thermonuclear reactions that travel much more slowly through the star than in a type IA supernova. This relatively slow walk of the blast leads to weaker explosions and hence different amounts of elements produced in the explosion. It is also possible that part of the white dwarf is left behind. Sagittarius A East is located very close to Sagittarius A, the supermassive black hole in the center of our Milky Way galaxy, and likely intersects with the disk of a material surrounding the black hole. The team was able to use Chandra observations targeting the supermassive black hole and the region around it for a total of about 35 days to study Sagittarius A East and find the unusual pattern of elements in the X-ray data. The Chandra results agree with computer models predicting a white dwarf that has undergone slow-moving nuclear reactions, making it a strong candidate for a type IAX supernova remnant. This supernova remnant is in the background of many Chandra images of our galaxy's massive super black hole taken over the last 20 years, said Zihuan Li, 
also of Nanjing University. We finally may have worked out what this object is and how it came to be. In other galaxies, scientists observe the type IAX supernova occur at a rate that is about one-third the type IA is supernova. In the Milky Way, there have been three confirmed super IA supernova remnants and two candidates that are younger than 2,000 years corresponding to an age when remnants are still relatively bright before fading later. If Sagittarius A East is younger than 2,000 years and resulted from a type IAX supernova, this study suggests that our galaxy is in alignment with respect to the relative numbers of type IAX supernova seen in other galaxies. Along with the suggestion that Sagittarius A East is the remnant from the collapse of a massive star, previous studies have also pointed out that a normal type IA supernova had not been ruled out. The latest study conducted with this deep Chandra data argue against both the massive star and the normal type IA interpretations. These results have been published today in the Astrophysical Journal and a preprint is available online. The co-authors, the other co-authors of the paper are Kenichi Namoto of the University of Tokyo in Japan, Jacko Vink of the University of Amsterdam in the Netherlands, and Yang Chen, also of Nanjing University. NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center manages the Chandra program. The Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory's Chandra X-ray Center controls science from Cambridge, Massachusetts, and flight operations from Burlington, Massachusetts. All right, so yes, still finding out things about our very galaxy, it appears, that the scientists are, when we don't even know things about our very ocean floors. But very interesting article, very interesting find near the center of our universe. Very interesting to note that there is a supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy. I kept saying universe, but I meant galaxy. You guys know what I meant. I meant galaxy. Um, you know, I don't know what all that means, but I do know what I said, and I meant what I said. That we are the product of a black hole going supernova. We are what spits out of the other side of that great vortex zone. We are the fodder and the matter of a white hole or supermassive black hole, I guess, if you want to be appropriate. And uh, from space dust to human and uh, back to dust again. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, this session of the Sea Report. We will see you again manana. This is Mr. C signing out. Don't forget to visit us at qandayholespodcast.com and stay tuned for more programming. Something is haunting the town. Adam Longoria has gone missing, and his sister claims she's been seeing a bad man in the shadows. Jesse Bachman confronts a terror that is haunting the town of Suval, but will he be able to stop a pure evil that wants him dead? Get the chilling new novella by Michael Aaron Cassidis, author of The Distance to the End. A Trick of the Eyes, a stunning new work of horror that is keeping readers turning the page. Get A Trick of the Eyes anywhere 
books are sold online or in stores ask for it by name a trick of the eyes by michael aaron casares <laughs>